<clears throat> Speak more. Today on Yopix, we're going to be discussing Luke going to Lebanon and potentially dying. <laughs> Not. Oh, I'm kidding, he won't die. He won't die, guys. It's going to be great. <laughs> I mean... That's quite a substantial risk. <laughs> <laughs> right? Let's not ignore the elephant in the room there. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Um, this is my level okay? I'm already nervous. So. You'll be fine, man. I'm just, <laughs> like, being mean. Thanks. I appreciate oh, that. This chair is so weird. To be fair, it would be a f- bloody cool way to if go. If you died, though, yo, <laughs> that would be fucking I ridiculous. Mean, I'd prefer to die that way than... Then. Then. Uh, <laughs> you have a car. preferred way to die? <laughs> well, like, if you get hit by a car, it's just like... Oh, a, my God. Like, um, it's enough in death, isn't it? That's... Oh, okay. I see what you mean. You know what I mean? You're going to have an, in, an impact. Yeah. A meaningful death, yeah? Yeah. Because in some way, you're a martyr if you die doing what you love. That's right? true. Can I write about it if you die? Um. No. Yeah. Can I? <laughs> Where do you want to put? <laughs> what are you gonna do with it? Write a book. Make some money. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, that's cool. laughs> you have to give at least half of it. To your picks? <laughs> no, not to. To char- name a charity. Who's gonna be? Who's gonna be running your picks at that stage? Me. It's it. gonna be me. I'm gonna have to do a will before I go. <laughs> <laughs> Dish out Yopix percent by percent. <laughs> Shares. Yeah. Okay, Racing is like one share. If you got left something in a will, like Yopix, for example. Can what? I buy a share in Yopix? You don't have to buy it. You can contribute and earn a share. Okay, mm. can I do that? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, what would you do if someone did die that you were close with and left you like a project to finish for them? Depends what the project is, depends yes. what the person is. <laughs> Because if it's, like, something really out of my uh, field... What about if you could do it? Like, If I could do it, I would try my best to do the best that I can. Yeah, 100%. Also, if I've got a lot of respect for that person. Yeah, yeah. If it's, like, a Nigerian prince in my spam emails... <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I might say no. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do is... Imagine it'd be quite cool though because it would like give your life a bit of a yeah, meaning would, but it'd also be a lot really of pressure busy? yeah but I was say, it's a lot of pressure as well because you're like you might feel like you're obliged to keep going with it you know especially yeah. if it's like it's a stage where you're like you don't really know what you're doing and then you're like why am I in this position why am I doing this but um yeah okay cool um hmm. so let's start let's okay. start so what is this, episode 14? 14. We're cranking them out at the minute. At a really good rate. Um, well, today we're going to talk about me. So I'm going to hand over to... Well, not me specifically, but something I'm doing. So I'm going to hand over to our um, familiar sounds of Billy and Racer. Hello. Um, Hello. And they're going to take control. Yeah, so basically, the last two podcasts, myself and Razor have bored everyone with our projects our plans but now you we're, bored them. we're spinning it around aren't we? <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> yeah so we are, you can't be bored by tampons to be yeah. um now we're going to reverse that we're going to spin it around and we're going to put the questions on luke aren't we razor yes we we're are. basically going to be the anton deck of intellectual podcasts we'll try so brace yourselves <laughs> so luke 
Yeah. Tell us about your tell us about your project. Okay. All we know so far is why Lebanon. yeah, first of all tell us everyone knows Lebanon. But first of all tell us what drew you to Lebanon, the issues in Lebanon when you first sort of re- started reading or becoming aware of them. Um so I've always been quite interested in the Middle East. I just think it's quite a diverse area with this lot of when when did you get interested in the Middle East? No one wakes up as really a five-year-old really and, gritty, and, you know? and chucks away their toy cars and goes, um, Mum, Dad. It must be something that you've probably been reading over the last couple of years because yeah. at least it's been the news. Yeah, probably like... For, uh, like for a really long time. I don't know, maybe since ICE, I would like ISIS came about, but not really, probably before that. It's always been the news though. Like yeah. We've grown up with the Middle East being a key like part of the global news cycle, so... Um, mm. It's always been in my mind, but I think when I was when we were given the opportunity to make a film, um, I was looking at really interesting places first of all. Um, so I had Catalonia also on my list. That would have been very interesting. As and well. I had Venezuela also on my list, and then I had Lebanon and I had Syria, um, and then I whittled them down. So Venezuela. What, what got the chop first? Uh, Venezuela too expensive. Yeah, far too expensive. Very far away. Yeah, um, I think it was like six, seven hundred pound round trip on flights. And I know it's not that expensive when you get there, but I don't know. I'm I'm a student and a, not a very good one with money. At that, so um, <laughs> I can't really spit out of my budget. Um, and then Syria, obviously, is a it's a war zone. So for my first film, I think that's a little bit out of my reach. I don't want to seem or pretend that I'm a super good documentary maker at this stage. So <laughs> I sacked that off. Um, and then Catalonia and Lebanon were left. Um, and it's only because I haven't been to Lebanon, I picked Lebanon. Okay. I think Catalonia would have been probably very interesting six months ago. Yeah. And I did have a... I do have a couple of people I've spoken to in the past from Catalonia who probably been a good idea for me to go down that route because I have some contacts. Yeah. But... I don't know, I just like new challenges, so Lebanon. Do you feel it, it would have been playing it a little bit safe doing Catalonia? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, you want to push yourself a little bit more. A little bit, yeah. Even but not, though this not is too my far. first film, let's <laughs> repeat that. Like, I'm yeah. by no means a director or a film producer. Yeah. The only thing I've edited is like small home films and but podcasts. You... You learn through practice, so... Exactly. There's so. no better way than just chucking yeah. yourself in. Exactly. So what yeah. first drew you to Lebanon? And when? Was it a couple of years ago or was it quite recently? Um, it was definitely quite recently. Um, so I would say I started reading a little bit about the refugee crisis in Syria mm. um, probably six months ago, uh, more in depth. And then I realised, or you kind of saw in the national news that a lot of people were getting annoyed or angry or upset about how the situation was being handled, particularly in the UK. Um, And I know Germany um, actually took a lot of refugees in, in comparison. Um, And like, for instance, the States, I think, took only around 4,000 refugees. So um, I was looking around at them kind of figures and then I came across Lebanon, who at the time it said 1.5 million Syrian refugees had been um, kind of noted as living there. Um, but apparently at this stage, it's more like 2.5 million. I think million. Lebanon have taken in uh, the second largest amount after Turkey. Yeah. Yeah, I know. The thing is with Lebanon as well, like even before this, their 
it's very multi like faith multicultural yeah. country like mm-hmm. they've got christians muslims jews um there's a lot of different races that live in yeah. lebanon as well so it kind of makes sense that they took loads of people yeah. it's quite admirable i mean lebanon has had its troubles i mean they've had civil war exactly, yeah. in the it's middle of the noughties mm-hmm. um so it's not like they're a stable country yeah, I mean, by any means. Yeah, there's quite a lot of political instability yeah, right now. And even before August, I want to say, maybe September, um, Lebanon had a period of 29 months where they had no functioning government mm. because they, they couldn't decide who was in. They had a strike, basically. Um, so, I mean, you would never see that in, or something to that extent in like Italy or somewhere like that, which where you would say it was a stable um, environment. Um, so I thought it had a lot of possibilities of being very interesting especially with a lot of people still having that recently in their minds. Um, So I think it has a lot of opportunity to be um, really engaging with people because there's going to be a lot of personal stories that reflect uh, the civil wars and the Syrian refugee crisis and its own troubles kind of politically and economically. Yeah, there's a lot going on because it's it's sort of like right in the middle of a lot of things. I think a lot of people disregard it, but... Mm -hmm. It's kind of what Lebanon's almost one of the most important countries within all yeah. of these Saudi because it's near Saudi Arabia, it's near Iran, it's near Afghanistan, and it's near Syria. Um, Palestine as well. And it sort of, of gets it always gets mentioned in the same breath of yeah. all of the Israel as well, of course. So did you know? Uh, do you know any people in Lebanon, or have you just started to make contacts now? Or did you know people before? Uh, so before I decided I was going to pick Lebanon, I had no idea how I was going to get in contact with anyone in Lebanon. Um, and then kind of Raisa mentioned she might have some contacts and some other people did. So I thought there might be a little bit more hope. Um, and then I went, we went to the, this, what was the conference called? No, News Rewired. Um, and there was a gentleman called Felix there who... Who's incredible. Yeah, me and uh, a lot of others were very... I would say inspired a little bit probably it was right at the end of the day we'd been sat down for about eight hours listening to people who are all great yeah. Yeah. but usually when you get to the last talk you sort of just fall asleep but and up the actual it. talk itself people were falling asleep a little bit and then <laughs> this man took to the microphone and yeah. inspired us all so he he's in I don't think he's in charge but he's kind of the um, day-to-day manager of the website um, or at least the one that goes around publicising it. It's called hostwriter.org, and it's just a collection of journalists on there from around the world. Um, so I just started contacting some people from Lebanon, uh, saying, hey, do you want to be in this film, or do you want to help me out doing this film? It's a bit difficult when you're not like, offering money up front. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously going to try and try my best to make it sellable and then sell it on afterwards and also as your first film it's not like you can be like oh here's here's one i made earlier yeah. like blue exactly. peter style so no no it's been difficult but i've gotten very lucky with a couple of people who are um in the right place to be able to help me so hopefully we've avoided the kind of issue of not being able to speak the language or not having a guide mm. or not having anywhere to stay etc in, in your head what does the narrative of the documentary look like right now? Because um, there's a lot so yeah, going on. So I want... The thing I'm really hoping for is a, a interview with someone um, who's a quote-unquote nobody in normal media's eyes. I want someone who's maybe, I don't know, lost a 
lost a father in a civil war who's not got a job um, because of the political strikes, who's got three kids who they struggle to feed. Um, someone who just struggles to survive day to day. And I really want to use a powerful testimony and interview from that kind of person and then also get the opposite side of that because I know Lebanon has the same kind of um, issues that maybe people would say Dubai or Abu Dhabi has where there's a lot of wealth in some people's pockets. But in others, they're completely um, just on survival mode. So I want to get the comparison between the two. Um, and I think the refugee angle might be a way in to do that because that is a a big issue in Lebanon at the minute. But then do you think uh, with interviewing refugees, it it will be more about the countries that they're coming from, so it might not end up being like linking to Lebanon that much? Mm-hmm. So if you spoke to a refugee, I don't know, from Syria, for example, they'll be talking about more of the Syrian crisis and yeah. Lebanon. Um, Definitely, and I'm not saying I want to use a refugee in particular. Yeah. Um, but like even the people that let the refugees use their land okay. to stay on, because a lot, I think nearly 70% of refugees were considered illegal after some new policy brought through this year by the Lebanon government. Um, government. So um, a lot of them are just on random people's land in tents. Yeah. Um, no major structural um, support around them, no infrastructure at all. Um, so there are people, there are Lebanese people who come in direct contact with these people, um, who choose to help them, who choose to hinder their progress to Europe or whatever. So I think um, it won't be difficult to find a Lebanese civilian who who has kind of tentacles in every avenue. Yeah, I think what would be particularly interesting is. Where do these refugees want to go after Lebanon? Mm-hmm. Do they even have time or the capacity to think about that, or is it every day as it comes? And if so, what are the problems in terms of? Yeah, is Lebanon just sort of a midway step towards something else? Yeah, is it a service station? Or, yeah, yeah, it's difficult. Um, I hope to really understand the area a lot more um, mm. after I come back. And I know it's not just the refugee crisis. I mean, Lebanon has a political party that also has an armed wing in Hezbollah um, and they are basically camped out on the Israeli border um, supposedly protecting the Lebanon border but they are considered serious anti-Zionists which yeah. obviously means they're not in favour of a Jewish Jewish state um, and now ISIS are gone um, the rest of the Middle East are kind of focusing their attention on Hezbollah a bit more um, so it could lead to more conflict in the area, another war, another proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Um, and there you see uh, another complication with the Sunni um, and Shia Muslims um, in the area that cause a lot of conflicts um, with their disbelief. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely yeah. think your documentary is very aptly timed in terms of right now in within Lebanon and the surrounding areas, it's very much a maybe could this what's going to happen it's almost sort of tipped quite yeah it's balanced quite oh, finally and i feel like in the next 12 months something quite big will happen yeah However, i, I just, mean sorry current no you carry on i was just gonna say uh, from all the things you mentioned this sounds like a series of like 
10 episodes are like 40 minutes each because you're trying to cover so many topics. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even like all this, the current situation in Lebanon has to do so much with what's historically happened as well. Mm-hmm. And to try and get into all the reasons why there's issues in Lebanon, but also looking at the external factors alone could be like a whole project in itself, you know? Yeah. And then trying to look at refugees, that's like a whole other topic. And then looking at the difference between the rich and the poor in Lebanon, that's another thing. Yeah. Looking at the political party. So I think I'm just curious how you are, are you gonna try and tie all of that in or are you gonna just try and focus on like briefly mention the other issues but try and focus more on one yeah uh, because I mean it is a massive massive like definitely I mean the way I'm thing of information to yeah like all there's so many topics and I'm not um, confessing to be like a professor in any of those um, but I just want to capture the essence of how the country feels and okay. how its people feel I think it's really important to tackle news not from a um place of kind of looking down on the yeah. logistics and looking at the people in power and and like how they're living their lives instead you should concentrate on how it affects the masses from a more humanistic standpoint so in terms of like dealing with the Hezbollah issue um, the kind of class issues they have um, some human rights issues they have and then um, the Syrian refugees on their border as well um, I'm not necessarily going to film all of them individually and cover them. I think you'll get an idea of how the country feels and what's happening to it throughout the film. Um, but it's not going to be... I'm not going to lay it out. I'm not going to spell everything out. Okay. It's going to be more of an emotional documentary. Mm. I think my main worry if I was you would be the day I stop off the step off the plane on the way home, the whole landscape changes before you can even get your documentary out. Yeah, because it's such a. But I still think, moving. even if that happens, it's still a comment mm. on the times, and yeah. I think a lot of people rush to be the first ones to report something and be the f- first ones to have breaking news on the ticker or release a DVD that is really, really current. But I think um, it's more important um, to compile the facts, lay it out in a nice way for people to understand and verify everything. Um, before you you just push everything out there to be first um so i'm not too worried if it changes afterwards i'm more worried if it changes before because it might mean i might not be able to go yeah which would be a shame in terms of production Mm -hmm. how long um who's the target audience if you could the nitty-gritty put it on any outlet ever yeah what would you put it on giving yourself to film yeah um so filming one to two weeks on location. Um, so that's Beirut and a and a. Uh, I'm actually not going to mention that. <laughs> yet. Um, so yeah, it's in Beirut and the surrounding area. Um, what else do you say? Production, so cameras and stuff. Yeah, and also like how long do you want the documentary to be? So it's going to be uh, probably forty five minutes to an hour, mm-hmm. depending on the interviews. Really, um, like I said, it all kind of hinges on how good the interviews are um camera wise i want something mobile so i don't want anything bulky because i'm going to be moving around a lot um so canon 700d probably or something similar um a couple of gopros as well uh i think hero fives 
and I'm taking a drone out there as well. So um, we've had to come back because the uh, recorder stopped recording once again. Um, you join us after a conversation about Billy's tennis career. <laughs> Which is very elusive and decorated. Yeah. Must I add. <laughs> so hopefully we can... Oh, I keep, I keep hitting the microphone with my hat. It's literally the worst. Do you want to turn Razor's thing up a little bit as well? Yeah. I think it the is. The dial spinny yeah. bit. Is it okay? That's no? better. That's yeah. a lot better. That's better. So there might be Sweet. a stark difference in audio quality. <laughs> But, but we're only we stopped oops. halfway through anyway. So we're only getting better here at Yopix. It just keeps going up. Just improving every day. So I think we left off from equipment. Um, so just to cap off, I'm taking GoPros, two GoPros, a drone, a rifle mic, and cables, um, a lapel mic, and a Canon 700D, and a tripod. Actually, I'm not going to take a tripod. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of tripods, actually. I think they just make everything a lot more, I don't know, just unreal. Less mobile. Just like, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're, you're going to be shooting in quite a chaotic environment, you don't want to be picking up a tripod every time you need to turn around. Uh, yeah, I think it would be good to take a handheld as well. Cause I, think, more of a... I think a shoulder rig would yeah. be very, very good. Shoulder rig? Yeah, so you can get like a little rig, you put it on your shoulder, you tie the camera on, it's basically like a tripod, but you get it's to use quite, shoulder. Yeah, it's quite so stable So you get that well. stable base every time you film, but you can move 360 quickly if you need to. One of my friends back from back home, who's actually at university, uh, sorry, he's just finished at Bucks, I think. Mm. No. Anyway, he's a film producer, Scott Harvey Films, first sponsor of the show. Maybe. <laughs> no, um, but he has this rig, basically, that you hold in front of you and you, you put your camera in. Yeah, I've seen um, that. And it prevents any like jogging, so it's yeah, all yeah. really smooth. So Image stability, yeah. Yeah, so you can literally run with it alongside someone. And it looks like a Hollywood movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're sick, guys. So that would be amazing, but I'm not sure if that equipment is available to us. It is. In the, I know we have it in the, lo- in the yeah. loan shop here, but I don't know about taking it because I've had to ask about that as well. Huh. I'm sure. Ooh, when are you filming? I'm sure we can oh, get that January, sorted. Uh, it depends. Yeah, when depends are you? When like, also, are you scheduled to film? Um, February. So latter stage or earlier stage. It's going to be like tenth, eleventh of February onwards. Okay. Um, and it really depends on how much time I can afford to spend over there. I want to spend kind of two weeks, but it depends on my money situation. On. And yeah. If, if I can get funding from anywhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can get funding from here for sure. Yeah. Well, hopefully. And plus, right. of course, it all depends on whether or not I get permission to go. That's true. We need our proposals yeah. accepted. If you don't get approved, mm-hmm. why don't you go on holiday, in inverted commas, to there anyway? I don't know. I did ask about that. Um, apparently, you're not allowed to submit it for your final project. If it's not been approved. If by it's then. not been approved okay. by ethics. You could still make the documentary. Yeah, yeah. Well, just a different funnel project. I think, I think it would be um, be a lot of work would, to be I would do like a documentary, um, online documentary. Sorry, instead of a visual, like a mm. fully visual one. So it'd be articles and stuff and galleries from Lebanon, things like that. Instead of, and I would have to pay some freelancers instead of actually me go myself. But hopefully we can avoid that, and I can go and make it as I want to. I'm sure you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have been a lot of faith in you. all over the world before, so... True. Can't True. Stop. But the same thing with all of ours, or with mine and races particularly, is 
hard not to fall into the trap of making it a, f- a travel film. Yeah. Because we're going yeah. to places that are really beautifully... Um, not beautiful. <laughs> I was like, where is he going with this? Places that are really beautiful and really good visually, it's going to be difficult not to just shoot a load of yeah. load of b-roll and take you to the like the hot spots and yeah kind of i think, I I'm think go on. sorry oh what i'm thinking is like how to show zambia uh to like how a tourist would not not tourist but yeah. as in because I, I know when i moved here i got a lot of questions about what is it like what are the cities like so i kind of already have an idea of what people want to see mm-hmm. which is literally just driving into the city center on the road because it's yeah you know, the, obviously the view is so different. The cities are so different. So I kind of have an idea already of the kind of B-roll I want. It's not going to be, you know, like safari style. But I think it is important still to show the city. So like, yeah, it's that balance, isn't it? Yeah. I think balance. yeah. Also in terms of balance, um, as creators, it's quite it's often quite hard to find the right balance between a planning a narrative before you make something and be sort of constructing it as you make something yeah and i feel like when you embark on these projects and obviously you're trying your best not to make it a travel documentary you kind of want to establish a narrative before you go to prevent that but at the same yeah. time you want to tell the story as it happens in front of you, yeah, you want especially to be with your lebanon yeah. story so it's very hard finding that balance and do you two worry about that yeah well a little bit definitely. yeah yeah definitely i mean you you ha- you want to have a uh a guide yeah like yeah you want to have written down like something to guide you that okay this is the kind of i don't know the shots you're looking for the kind of interviews that you're looking for are you gonna storyboard yeah i mean i was thinking about it but i think that would take me years (laughs) i'm I'm gonna storyboard definitely i'm gonna try to just so i know because i know I will. I'm quite forgetful in terms of like the little things, so yeah. I might get there, film a load of B-roll, um, and do some interviews. But I won't get specific B-roll that could be really nice to link yeah. into a different part of the story. Um, so I'm going to try and plan out specific things and specific shots that I need for the film to like for links and things like that. Yeah, because the worry yeah. for both of us is that we won't really get a second chance to go back and film. Yeah, it's not like we can. So that is quite daunting. A, like, I haven't yeah. got enough money to hop on a plane like two, three times in a row. Exactly. To go back because I forgot to film like <laughs> some certain mosque or yeah. some certain road that's considered dangerous or interviewed a particular person. So. I know as well. We spoke in last week's podcast about you sort of razor having worries about making a participatory documentary and you're still not too sure yeah. about how you're going to construct that what yeah. about you luke do you foresee yourself in this documentary predominantly no i'm not going to be the idea of it is to challenge traditional um like foreign affairs cor- correspondence um so traditionally you'd have someone reporting the news from lebanon probably outside a building in beirut maybe the parliament i don't know um and telling you what's happening happening in the country in the city um but instead of that i want to completely take my voice out of it um and let the interview speak for itself a lot of it will probably be subtitled um so i mean if you don't like reading subtitles my film's probably not for you um but i want to keep it as authentic because i think even when you watch i watched a um the film about the French national team. It's on Netflix. I forgot what it's called. Something the blue. Um, I assume it's in French. Um, but all of that film was basically done in subtitles. 
but you never lost interest. It was still really engrossing because you were even more into the film because you had to yeah. read the subtitles. Themselves. I think it makes it far yeah. more authentic as well in terms of the behaviours that interviewees will portray on camera when they're not trying to speak in a second language themselves. I think yeah. they'll be a lot more honest and a lot more open and they'll be able to express their emotions far better in yeah. their own language. So why would you compromise that really? And also everything, or like not everything, but a lot of things can be lost in translation. And particularly with a language um, like Arabic um, compared to English, they're vastly, vastly different. Um, so I don't want to presume I know what someone's telling me. I want them to be on camera um, and telling the audience directly. Um, and more than that, I want to do kind of a Platon photo um, portrait kind of angle to the interviews. So instead of when you see normally the interviewee is sitting behind the camera and you can tell that the um, person who's been interviewed is, oh sorry, the interviewee is actually looking at the reporter. Um, but I actually want the interviewees to look directly into the camera as if they're speaking to you at home, sitting on your lovely, I don't know, leather chair or standing up making the dinner or whatever you're doing. I want them to be able to look directly into your eyes and tell their story. I think that will have a big impact. Yeah. Um, cool. And I think there's a there's a case on Netflix again, um, Andy and um, Alan, I think. Um, no. Who's the comedian? Jim Carrey. Jim and Andy. Um, basically, it's about Jim Carrey transforming into this um, old comedian um, during a film called Andy Kaufman. Um, and during that, it was basically an interview and then some archive footage of his production um, during that film. Um, but that whole interview, Jim Carrey was looking directly into the camera and you could really feel every emotion that he was going through telling that story. Um, and that's something I really want to portray in the in the film. But hopefully we can pull it off first time so we don't have to go back. I think you will. You have a pretty good idea of what you're looking for. So Yeah, it's tricky though. I, yeah. I believe in you both. Thank you. We we believe in each other, I should say. Yeah. Very supportive. I can't wait to uh, sit down and watch both your films back to back and nitpick Likewise. every little problem. We will yeah. sit and read through your whole discussion. No, you won't. No, you won't. You won't. And not. pick out your referencing problems. I don't know if it was picked up in the recorder, um, but we are, or well, I did mention that we might hopefully have a film festival at some point. Oh, yes. Um, so maybe if all of our films come off really nice, we can set up a film festival in Coventry um, and sell tickets and you can all come and see what we've done. Please come. Yeah. And also, we can do a podcast on, on it afterwards. Yes. I've seen everyone. Yeah. I will be doing a meet and greet, so you can come and have selfies with me. Yeah. Nobody Billy will be there with photos. <laughs> um, our in-house Twitter famous Billy. Yeah. You can take a <laughs> selfie with his dissertation. There may be limited edition <laughs> merchandise. So. <laughs> but um, you're going to have... Can <laughs> very contain my excitement now. <laughs> merchandise. Racer's also going to be there with um, bobbleheads of Racer. Yes. That would be excellent. Razor dolls. <laughs> Razor dolls. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of free tampons and pads. So. Yeah. You know. Are you going to put gonna... any um, unique selling point on your tampons or is it just going to be a normal... Why does no? It's gonna. I don't know. It has. It just has to have a use. You can advertise. Be absorbent. That's the only, <laughs> it's the only selling point. I don't know if you're gonna try and advertise your film through tampons. No, no, no. Yeah. No. Why don't you just turn it into a massive brand campaign and yeah. start a tampon company and I... make loads of money? <laughs> That's actually a good Are idea. There, is there anything That's such? Is there such fair trade idea. tampons? I've not heard of any. 
in the market. Okay. Ideas literally being created yeah. on this podcast. Okay, I need to leave right now to go and start this <laughs> <Yeah>. research. <laughs> All right, we're um, ethical tampons. You're you're here as whenever. Uh, hopefully, we come up with a better plan for ethical tampons. Yes, um, by the next the way forward. Yeah, and all of our other ideas. But thank you for listening to us, and we will come back soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.